Man, the last uh, number of days and, and, and weeks here uh, at the church has really just been incredible. Uh, God is doing a powerful work uh, amongst his people, not just here uh, in the room, but even as folks are tuning in from around the nation and around the world. We're seeing signs, wonders, miracles, salvations happening in people's households. Uh, even on uh, Tuesday night, we went into a spontaneous baptism. As I talked about it on the live stream, we had different folks who are messaging in from around the region, South Seattle, Enumclaw, Aberdeen, Maple Valley, Black Diamond, Bellingham, Vancouver, different places who just felt a leap in their spirit. They said, I gotta be at service. They left their houses. They left their places of employment. They drove to the service spontaneously on Tuesday night. We held the baptism tank open until the end of service. And I think between Tuesday and Wednesday, we baptized about 50 different people here in the house of God. God is just at work in incredible ways. I just wanted to highlight a, a testimony uh, for you this morning that at least for me was of particular importance because testimonies release faith in the room that God is no respecter of persons. So if he did it for them, he can do it uh, for me. Two in particular, uh, on Tuesday night, we had somebody message in and, and say, I'm with my newborn baby uh, at the hospital. They're dealing with a severe case of jaundice. They need a miracle in order to release the baby home. And so we rallied our people to pray just on that live stream. They were in a different state just on that live stream. We begin to pray and confess the healing virtue of of God over this baby and by a miraculous touch of God's spirit that jaundice supernaturally cleared up that evening. There was another gal uh, who uh, was watching uh, from uh, their hospital room uh, dealing with a medical crisis from Addison's disease. Her heart had stopped it took 25 minutes to be resuscitated. She was in the ICU. In the praise report that I got yesterday, that same day that you prayed for her, her breathing tube was removed. She is now talking, able to sit up on the bed, and all of the stuff that has been in her lungs, she's coughing up and getting total clarity in her lungs and in her heart. And just today, right now, we've got folks tuning in from Kentucky, Tennessee, Las Vegas, Idaho, Hawaii, California, Arizona, Rhode Island, and other states and nations that we don't have time to mention in this format. I truly believe that what God is doing in the Northwest is so significant and so special that it's causing faith to arise for these revival fires to be fanned into flame in other communities, houses, and churches around the nation. And you and I, I get to be a part of that. Hey, this morning, uh, I wanted to start um, today's sermon by helping give you some biblical context for some of the manifestations that we see from time to time uh, at this altar. What I have learned is that God will do the same miracle a hundred different ways just to prove to me two things. Number one, he is more creative than I've ever given him credit. Number two, he doesn't operate in the context of my box. I operate in the context of his. 
And oftentimes in revival movements, when God begins to pour out his spirit on a community, people interact with God's spirit in profound and in demonstrative ways. And sometimes it leaves people with questions or sometimes even concerns, complaints, critiques. And I felt like it would be appropriate this morning to help give you context for the way that God works. One of the things that you will see in this community if you hang around for any measure of time, is that often, not all the time, but often, when we pray for people at this altar, the Spirit of God hits them, the glory of God overwhelms them, and they find themselves slain in the Spirit. Now, you might go, well, I don't like that, and how does that work, and explain that, and is that really in the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked, because yes, it is. (laughs) Ezekiel 1. Such was the appearance of the likeness and the glory of the Lord that when I saw it, I fell on my face as I heard the voice of one speaking. Revelation 1, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. Matthew 17, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and was greatly afraid. Second Chronicles 5 and 14, the priests could not stand to minister minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the whole house. See, it's my conviction that if we ain't overwhelmed every once in a while by the glory of God, maybe we aren't experiencing half of what is available to us if we would just have the courage to ask. So let me get this straight. The sun will burn your eyes out from 93 million miles away, but you expect to casually stroll into the presence of its creator. Number two, sometimes when we pray for folks at the altar, they begin to laugh. Not because anything is necessarily funny in that moment, but because the joy of the Lord is doing a deep work in their heart. For in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Psalms 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? For he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Psalms 37, but the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. Psalms 126, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy for they declared the Lord has done great things. Luke 6, blessed are those who weep now for later you shall laugh. Genesis 21, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this miracle will laugh with me. Job 8, he will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. You know, the average child laughs about 300 times a day, while the average adult laughs only 17 times a day. And does not the scriptures proclaim that unless you become like a child, you will never enter into the kingdom of God? See, it's interesting, medical science is finally catching up with the power of joy. Laughter increases your pain tolerance. Laughter increases your heart health. Laughter increases your circulation. Laughter boosts your immune system. One study from 2011 showed that women who laughed regularly were 16% more likely to get pregnant. So just be careful this morning when you laugh, you might leave with a baby. 
not just laughter, it's jumping. People get excited in worship and preaching. They start to jump. Luke 6, be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Acts 3, with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. He entered the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. Luke 1, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 35, then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will sing, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So let me get this straight. We can jump at the football game. We can jump at the concert. We can jump at events that don't matter 25 cents in all of eternity, but jumping in the presence of God is somehow off limits. I'd rather you jump here than jump in the club. I'd rather you jump here than jump in bed with your girlfriend. I'd rather you jump here than jump at that party where everyone is on drugs. See, if we will learn to come alive in the presence of God, we won't have to worry so much about looking for life in other places that can't provide it. It's not just laughing, it's crying. Lamentations 2, their heart cried out to the Lord. They said, let your tears run down like a river day and night. Psalms 56, you have taken account of my wanderings and you put my tears in your bottle. Psalms 39, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. Joel 2, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. See, you ought to pay attention to your tears for they point you in the direction of your destiny. I have wept more at this altar than any other activity. For when God gets a hold of your heart, you often find yourself undone in his presence. How can you not help but cry when an entire family gets baptized at once? How can you not help but weep when folks throw drugs on the altar and get saved? Oh, if only church was a little more boring, said no one ever. Oh, if only church was a little more predictable, said no one ever. Friend, we are in the middle of an outpouring, so let's give room for God to work and not be afraid of the mess that comes along with it. And for those of you this morning who are nervous about people getting too wild in church, I've got good news. So far, we haven't had anyone dance so hard their clothes came off like King David in 2 Samuel 6. No one has instantly disappeared from church and then been transported into another city like Philip in Acts 8. I haven't noticed anyone caught up in a heavenly trance like Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. No one's face has shone so bright they had to cover it with a veil like Moses in Exodus 34. And no one's animal has strolled into church to prophesy like Balaam's donkey in Numbers 22. Now, we still got a number of services left today, so you never know. But you know, some people have made it their life's mission to guard against the excesses of revival by becoming a professional critic of the way other people interact with God. 
Newsflash, God didn't ask your permission before healing that person. God didn't seek out your opinion before forgiving that person. God doesn't need your approval before making one person cry, another person laugh, another person jump, and yet another person fall. I am reminded of when Mary of Bethany anoints the feet of Jesus with a pound of costly perfume and the disciples begin to criticize her. Jesus rebukes them and says, leave her alone. For if you only knew how much she had been forgiven, you would understand the extravagance of her worship. If you're offended when a young person jumps up and down during worship, I got a word for you today. Leave them alone. If you got an opinion when someone is slain in the spirit, I got a word for you. Leave them alone. If you got a bad attitude when someone is laughing or crying at the altar, I got a word for you. Leave them alone. Why? Because I ain't responding to shade that comes from trees that don't bear fruit. Now this morning, let me give you five things. Five things that the anointing of God will accomplish in your life. I think especially in the church world, oftentimes we use these words that largely go undefined. And in doing so, how will we know if we ever arrive where God wants us to arrive if we don't have framework for what the destination looks like? So we talk about the outpouring of God's spirit. We talk about revival, reformation, awakening. You name it, everybody's got a different word depending on what stream that they're a part of to help give reference or language to what's happening in the nation. Whatever it is, we are in the midst of a unique and sovereign window of time by which God is pouring out his spirit in unusual ways. And it is the responsibility of the church to raise her sails that as the wind of God blows, it would drive us in whatever direction he wishes. We talk a lot about the anointing, but I want to give you five things from scripture this morning. Five things on what the anointing will accomplish in your life. Number one, the anointing of God will break the yoke of bondage. Isaiah 10, for it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. What can I expect from being in the presence of God? Oh, I'm glad that you asked. First and foremost, when you get into an anointed environment, bondage that has been held back for years can get destroyed by God's power in an instant. I want you to just for a moment this morning consider this water bottle. When we buy them from bulk at Costco, this runs us about 25 cents per unit. Now this same exact water bottle sold in an NFL game would run you six, seven, eight dollars a unit. It's the same water, it's the same bottle, it's the same source, it's the same contents, it's the same packaging. The only thing different, hear me, is the environment in which it is consumed. See, I believe in a similar matter, environments matter to God. Has this place been prepared by prayer? 
did praise and worship take us into the throne room? Was it the gathering dedicated to God? Was the word of God which releases faith boldly proclaimed? Did we pray the prayer of faith? Did we declare the confession of hope? Oh, I am convinced that a spirit-filled environment will take an ordinary song and turn it into an anthem for revival. I am convinced a spirit-filled environment will take an average sermon and turn it into a life-changing word that God releases into your life. I am convinced that a spirit-filled environment will take a common church, a common people, and a common Sunday service and turn it into an uncommon supernatural place of encounter that has the power to change every finite detail of your life. It's the power of environment. It always amazes me. I could preach the same sermon. We could sing the same songs. But we could be in a different context at a different church with folks who are not hungry for the things of God and it would feel like pounding up against a wall for 45 minutes with ain't no oil in the room. But I could preach an inferior sermon in this house and we could lead an inferior worship set in this house. This could be an inferior building still under construction that doesn't have all of the T's crossed and the I's dotted. But when the hunger of God is in the room, it pulls on the anointing from God's spirit and it transacts the business of the kingdom amongst the lives of people in the community. The environment matters to God and therefore it should matter to us. And watch it's not just the pastor's job to set the environment, it's your job too. Which means I'm bringing my faith. I'm bringing my engagement. I'm bringing my seed. I'm bringing my expectation. I'm inviting my friends. I'm not just showing up with the attitude of here I am, entertain me. But instead, here I am, I've got a valuable ingredient to contribute. Do you know that all over scripture, it was the honor and the engagement of people around Jesus or the lack thereof that would prim primarily contribute to the level of breakthrough that they would receive. I'll prove it to you, Matthew 13. Now Jesus couldn't do many miracles in Nazareth, even though it was his hometown, even though it was his home turf, even though he was surrounded by family and friends that he grew up in. The Bible says in Matthew 13 that the miracle worker couldn't perform many miracles in that environment. And why? Because the dishonor and unbelief of that community, watch, it turned the right environment into the wrong one. Now collate that example with John 2 where Jesus performs his first miracle ever at the wedding of Cana by turning water into wine. His mom comes to him and says they run out of wine. And Jesus says, well, it's not my problem and it's not my time. But then in the very next scene, Jesus does the miracle anyways. Why? Because the faith of Mary pulled on heaven and turned the wrong environment into the right one. See, the environment today is ripe for a miracle, which means you must not allow your mindset to somehow talk you out of receiving. See, that addiction, that bondage, that generational curse, that illness, that infirmity, it breaks now in the name of Jesus. 
And when you get into an anointed environment, for this reason the Son of God was made manifest to dismantle the works of darkness. When you get into an anointed environment, all Jesus does is he performs in accordance with what scripture says he is. No, Jesus can't help but walk in a room and see bondages disappear. Jesus can't help but walk in a room and see sickness healed. Jesus can't help but walk in a room and see mental health restored. Why? Because healing isn't just what he does. It is who he is. It is rising on his wings. It is collected at his hymn. It doesn't have to be a miracle service in order for you to receive your miracle. In any environment that exalts King Jesus, everything that lays residential inside of him becomes available for his people and it's the anointing that breaks the yoke number two the second thing that the anointing will accomplish in the life of a believer or in the life of a church is this it'll rally the troops watch Psalms 110 the Lord says to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet why because what opposed you in the last season will be a stepping stone for you in the next season. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Zion. You will rule over your enemies. And watch, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. Here's what I found. The best way to get folks involved in serving in the house of God is to show them the power of God on full display. See, the anointing brings people together for sovereign and strategic initiatives that help advance the kingdom of God. The anointing causes unity to come upon God's people and causes them to be unstoppable in the face of blowback and resistance. Oh, it's exhausting to try and beg, manipulate, convince, and argue people into being a part of something bigger than themselves. But when the anointing of God hits a room, the response is also serve anywhere just put your glory in me and this is what is so profound about Psalms 84 where David says better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked for the Lord God is a sun and a shield the Lord will give grace and glory and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly David is the king and he says I'd rather be on the facilities team I'd rather serve in the background I'd rather not even be noticed I'd rather not even have a nice title I'd rather not even have a good paycheck all I want is a front row ticket to see God display his power and his glory and at the end of the day that will be enough and here's the reality friend if you don't serve God without a title you won't serve him with a title we think a title of man makes us better see the power and the glory of God no it's not a title for man it's a heart to serve anywhere in the house of God whatever it is here I am send me whatever it takes I'll give whatever it requires I'll show up will it be inconvenient yes will it require my time talent and treasure absolutely at times will it not feel comfortable you bet but better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere and what the anointing of God does in a room is it supernaturally rallies people to be a part 
of something bigger than themselves. See, I think the problem is in many churches today, they're asking folks to serve in ministries that have the lights on, but ain't nobody home. The last time the power of God showed up, they thought it was the devil and tried to cast it out. Ain't nothing worse than showing up to listen to a dead preacher preaching dead sermons to dead people. Oh yeah, come serve in this religious museum filled with whitewashed tombs. No thank you. I'd rather watch the grass grow. I'd rather watch the paint dry. I'd rather get COVID again. You know why setting up these chairs is valuable? Because every single one of them represents a soul. Do you know why holding babies in the nursery is valuable? Because that is our future. Do you know why helping direct traffic in this parking lot is worthwhile? Because if someone gets in a fender bender on their way into church, it'll probably ruin the experience for them. But when the power of God hits a church, people all of a sudden change their language. I don't have to serve, I get to serve. I don't have to give, I get to give. I don't have to attend, I get to attend. Why? Because I am a living stone, worshiping a living God, sitting in a living church, surrounded by a dying culture, and there has never been a better time to get involved than right now. Because see, without vision, people cast off restraint. Without vision, people perish. And so often we're asking people to rally behind stuff that hasn't had vision or anointing for 20 years. Oh, come wear Saul's armor. See how that feels. Oh, come on, come sit around a dry, dead well that hasn't had living water in 40 years. See how that feels. But I'll tell you what, when living water enters the room, you got people that fly from every tribe, tongue, and nation just to get a drink. You got people who drive from every city in the region two, three hours away just to be a part. Oh, when God shows up, it's like a banner begins to be waved in the region. Come and buy bread, come and receive wine, come and have your eyes touched, your spirit renewed, your mind restored. Why? Because there is a living people who believe in a living God who still responds with fire today. Oh, in a revival movement, God will catch you up into his power and his presence, and he'll do things in a moment of time that no man could do in a thousand lifetimes. Friend, it is the anointing of a real God who still operates in real power, who still offers real transformation to real people laying in the margin in the ditch of their lives. This is the God that we serve, but if we were to be honest, we would become bored with a God that we barely know. And when the anointing hits the room, people are left with awe and wonder of the greatness of who God is. For our God is great, and he is greatly to be praised. When the anointing hits the room, it'll rally the troops. Number three, when the anointing of God hits the room, it'll consecrate the people. Exodus 30, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons, and you shall consecrate them, or set them apart, that they may serve me as priests. Hear me, trying to change your behavior without first encountering his power and glory has gotta be one of the most miserable things on the planet. The message of the gospel is not try harder. It is surrender your soul, seek his face, see his beauty, 
and watch how his spirit will sanctify your life. And friend, it is our yes to Jesus that empowers our no to the world. Now let me say something. It's going to sound controversial at first, but I want you to hear my heart. If all I do is obsessively preach on sin, the only thing that I will create is more sinners. But if I exalt Jesus and make great his love, grace, and mercy, which causes me to triumph over sin, then what we will create is victorious believers. See, the grace that God offers doesn't excuse our sin. It empowers us to overcome our sin, for that which is born of the Spirit overcomes the world. And see, when the presence of God hits a room... Ain't no one have to even preach on sin. People just repent. Let me prove it to you. Luke 19. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. The people saw this and began to mutter, oh, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus don't even teach on finances. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house every Tuesday night at 4 p.m. for the next 12 weeks. I'm taking you through a teaching series on generosity. Let me help audit your taxes at the end of the year so you know how much to give. Here's a tax receipt so you can get your donation. Let me help instruct you in the ways of the tithe and the offering. All Jesus does is show up for lunch. But the power of Jesus walking into the room causes Zacchaeus to enter into confession and repentance and to reject the God that he had served for his entire life, the God of money. We saw this Monday night, Tuesday night, just as we're preaching, as the power and the anointing of God hits the room, all of a sudden people are running to the altar, putting their drugs on the altar. Weed, pills, syringes, bags of stuff, you name it, pouring it out at the altar. Now I didn't say, let me preach a 10-week series on why you should give up that stuff that represents an addictive bondage in your life. Nobody had to instruct them. When the power of God hits the room in people's hearts, they say, I don't want anything that separates me from you. It was so funny, on Sunday I broke one of the cardinal rules of pastoring. They tell you, when you pastor a church, you don't ever, ever, ever have a service without receiving an offering, ever. But the power of God so hit the place on Sunday, I didn't even know where I was. We was in church till 4.30 p.m., immediately got in cars, drove down to Seattle, and then was in church from 6 p.m. till about 1 a.m. By the time I got home, I was so tired, I parked in the garage. I meant to get out of my garage, but I fell asleep in my car. I didn't know where I was. But isn't this crazy? This last week was one of the best financial weeks for the church. No offering was taken. No greasy pitch. 
No, you better give right now else we can't keep the lights on. No, the power and glory of God hit the room. And I'll tell you what motivates giving when parents see their children impacted by the power of Jesus. When family members see prodigals come back home, when healing happens in people's bodies, when people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when people respond spontaneously to get baptized in water, gotta make sure every bill gets paid, every building gets purchased, every utility bill is paid on time. Gotta make sure every account is more than flush to fund the expansion of his kingdom when the power, the anointing, and the glory of the Almighty hits the room. See, the anointing will cause you to be a set-apart individual. Number four, the anointing of God, watch. It'll teach the truth and it will expose the lie. First John 2, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Now hear me, Jesus is truth. And the anointing of God's spirit will cause every encounter you have to lead you right back to Jesus. Now, how do I know if that manifestation was real? How do I know if that revival service was authentic? How do I know if that charismatic experience was genuine? By answering this question, where did it lead you? You know what the devil hates? A group of people who gather to worship Jesus, and by the time that they leave, they love Jesus more than when they first came in. For this is the goal of Christian living. The more that we know him, the more that we desire him. The more that we desire him, the more that we experience him. The more that we experience him, the more that we love him. And then we realize how little we actually know, which begins the whole cycle over again. See, the value of spiritual encounters is not determined by its length, but instead by its depth. And however long it takes God to do a deep work in my life, that's how long I am willing to stay. See, the anointing won't just lead you to truth. It'll give you a boldness to stand. Remember, friend, it is never love to affirm a lie in order to not offend the liar. The anointing will put a boldness on your life to tell the truth to a culture that has made it a crime to point out basic truths. But you won't ever have the authenticity to tell truth to culture until you tell truth to yourself which means you gotta step, stop accepting every label that doctors have placed on your life. You gotta stop accepting every identity that past relationships have spoken over your life. You gotta stop asking God for 47 confirmations in order for you to finally believe him at his word. If the son has set you free, act like it. If Jesus has forgiven your sins, stop talking about them. If God has healed your body, confess it until it becomes your reality. Tell the truth until it disempowers every lie that has held you back. Let me end here, number five. The fifth thing that the anointing of God will do in your life. There's actually seven things, but really I only got time for five. Number five, this, watch. It'll empower the person. It'll empower the person. Now watch, 1 Samuel 16. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed David in the midst of his brothers. Watch. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. 
I love that word. In the Hebrew, that word rushed means this. And all of a sudden, spiritual might that causes one's life to supernaturally prosper. See, friend, in every revival environment, what you will find is that God's power does more in two or three days than man's power could do in two or three lifetimes. All of a sudden, that lost person gets saved. All of a sudden, that sick person gets healed. All of a sudden, God's power causes the church to grow. It is a season of suddenlies by which God makes up for lost time. Now, let me prove it to you. Joel 2. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. See, when God repays a region or a person for what the enemy has stolen, what took the devil decades to do, God reverses in a matter of moments. And friend, we live in that moment now. All of a sudden, the wind began to blow. All of a sudden, the fire began to fall. All of a sudden, that church began to grow. All of a sudden, that prodigal came back home. All of a sudden, that marriage began to be healed. It is suddenly to us. But it's been in God's heart for all of eternity. And he is just now finding a people that he can trust with the rushes of his spirit. See, two weeks ago, Monday... We had our Kirkland grand opening. About an hour before our Kirkland grand opening, I heard the Lord say, get to Asbury. And I was like, but God, we got like a hectic week and we ain't going to get to bed till 2 a.m. And I really don't want to be on a plane the next day flying across the country. But I just heard the Lord keep reminding me, Russell, not all moments are created equal. And this is a sovereign window of opportunity for you to receive a fresh anointing. So I texted Lydie on the way to Kirkland and I said, can you fly out tomorrow to Kentucky? He said, book the ticket. We did. Out the door at 5 a.m. Flew out, landed in Kentucky. Showed up, st stood in the rain for an hour in a lightning storm to try to make our way into the chapel. Got into the chapel and I felt like the Lord said, now this is why I wanted you here. The tangible presence of God and the hunger of the people met each other in the middle and heaven came to earth. And you've got to realize this, friend, not all moments are created. Well, I get around to it when I get around to it. Oh, God will still be here tomorrow. Oh, his power will still be here tomorrow. Now, I get all of that. But can I tell you that there are moments in your spiritual journey where the waters are being stirred and you have a holy invitation to jump in and in doing so be renewed and be restored. And friend, we are in that moment now as a community. And that's why the Bible says, he who has ears to hear, hear. He who has eyes to see, see. Hear what the Spirit of God would be saying to the church and what he is 
saying to the church is what he said to the apostle John on the island of Patmos. It is a holy invitation. Come up higher, my beloved, and see the things which are about to happen. I am telling you today that we are standing on the precipice of the third great awakening by which we will see the fires of revival burn bright once again from the west coast to the east coast and from this nation to the nations of the earth. And we must take our arrows and we must strike the ground until living water begins to flow. What we have prayed for is here. Now allow our hunger to pull on heaven until it increases all around us. See, if I'd have time, I'd give you number six. The anointing of God makes you like a son of Issachar who knew the times and the seasons. Oh, I want you to know the timing of God. I want you to know the season of God. We are in a suddenly season by which God is making the enemy pay for every year that he has stolen from the church of Jesus Christ. You are in that moment now. You are being supernaturally caught up now. God is making up for lost time in your life now. You thought your best days were behind you. You thought that best revival was behind you. You thought that best anointing was at that church that closed down. I'm here to prophesy to you that it is happening now. You're in the right place. You're here at the right time. And you, my friend, will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. This is what his anointing does. And it's here in the room to break your bondage, to rally your troops, to consecrate your life, to set you apart, to catch you up in his reality. Oh, his anointing is here. And when it's here, it'll do the heavy lifting. Come on, let's pray. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that your anointing would rest on men and women under the sound of my voice. God, we thank you for the release of miracles, signs, wonders, now in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for the release of boldness and faith in the room today. God, I thank you for the release of a consecrated heart in the room today. Come on, if the Spirit of God would bring something to your attention, even right now, that you just need to offer to God, just do it in your own heart. God, I'm going to give you that. God, I'm going to lay that down. God, I'm going to shift my gaze. I'm turning in another direction. Today's my day. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to this altar to pray. If you're here today, you don't know God like you should, but you want to. Maybe at one point you did, but if you was to be honest, you're far from Him. Number two, you're here in the room, and you need a miracle in your body. You've been believing for it. You've been contending for it. You prayed a thousand times. It hasn't yet happened, but you're here to knock on the door of heaven one more time. Maybe you're here today. You need a fresh move of God's Spirit in your own life. 
You need His anointing to reanimate your spirit. You need a personal revival in your own heart or in your own family. You need to be fanned into flame, stirred up in the most holy faith. Then I'm here to tell you today, friend, today is your day. So God, may your anointing rest in this place. May it dismantle every bondage that has held us back. And now, may it propel us into the promises of God, which are yes and amen. We pray these things now in the mighty name of Jesus. If that's you in the room today, when I count to three, I want you to come to this altar. Let's add our faith together to see God do a miracle in your life. Here we go. One. Here we go, two, here we go, three. Come on, would you step out of your seat? Let us seek the Lord while he may be found, even at this altar, and let's allow his anointing to do its best work in our spirit and in our heart.